I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across MLS and Europe. In the wake of the Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna scandal, U.S. soccer named Anthony Hudson as interim head coach of the men's national team. At first, it seemed like he'd only be filling the role for the January camp and two friendlies against Serbia and Colombia. But then, on January 26th, it was announced that Ernie Stewart was leaving his post as sporting director for U.S. soccer and that his replacement would be hiring the permanent head coach. So now, it looks like Hudson will lead the team through the summer and who knows, perhaps even longer. Remember, the last time the U.S. had an interim head coach, Dave Sarakin, he stayed in that position for 13 months before a permanent head coach was hired, that being Greg Berhalter. All of this has made me want to learn more about Anthony Hudson. Who is he? Where has he coached before? And how did he do when he was there? That's what we'll be digging into over these next two podcast episodes. We'll start today by looking into his time as head coach of the New Zealand national team. And to help me do that, I've invited Michael Burgess on the show. Michael is a sports writer for the New Zealand Herald, and he's won the award for New Zealand Football Writer of the Year six times. Please enjoy my conversation with Michael Burgess. Michael, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Unfortunately, sitting in Auckland, uh, New Zealand in the rain in January or February, and uh, we're in the middle of summer, but weather, the weather hasn't come to the party. But yes, great to be here and great to be talking uh, football and a very uh, interesting topic too. Yes, yes. Anthony Hudson, interim head coach of the U.S. So he was head coach of the New Zealand men's national team from 2014 to 2017. Can you tell me a little bit about how you were covering the team during that time? Yeah, so I've been covering the the New Zealand team, the All Whites, since about 2006, so so a long time. And certainly by that stage when Anthony came on the scene, I was the, the lead writer for the New Zealand Herald, the newspaper, the website, and so certainly heavily involved in, in covering the team. And there was a lot of excitement about Anthony, I have to say, uh, when he came into the role. He came into the role at a, a tricky time. The team was on a bit of a downhill slide. Um, listeners might remember that New Zealand qualified for the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. And that was the peak of that team. And it, what over the next cycle until 2014, it wasn't really regenerated. So they had a lot of players that were too old. They hadn't brought in younger players. The coach left at the end of that those two cycles. He'd, he'd done a fantastic job, but that was the end of his time. New Zealand football embarked on this worldwide search and they came up with, with Anthony. And yeah, he was, uh, he was a, a fascinating guy. And I always remember the press conference that they had to introduce him. And he sort of felt like a bit of a, a bit of a rock star scenario. New, New Zealand football were really keen to emphasize that they had landed this hot shot English coach who was, uh, just so uh, so promising, and he was going to be the next big thing. So, you know, in New Zealand, you can imagine, football's not the number one sport, but he, he got a lot of coverage because everyone's like, wow, who is this guy? Gee, he's going to be amazing. What, what was it that the New Zealand Football Federation liked so much about him? Why, why do you think he, he got the role? Why was he the, the candidate they wanted? I think there are a couple of things. I think from the start, uh, during the interview process, they shortlisted. They, they had more than a hundred applications, as you do. Shortlisted about five. Um, I think from the start, he really 
had a good connection with the interview panel and especially the CEO. The CEO was also an English English guy that they connected well. But on the surface, I guess his track record was wasn't he was only thirty three at the time, which was crazy. Um, he just finished coaching Bahrain, mainly been at Bahrain the under twenty three team. He'd won their first trophy, but it was a Golf of Nations tournament, so it was just the, the Gulf states. And he'd had a couple of small jobs, a job in the States, as you probably know, and a, and a small job at uh, a small time at Newport County. But he did have all these kind of glittering references from from different well-known identities. So so you thought, oh, gee, maybe, maybe he is this real big guy on the rise. And I guess compared to other coaches we'd had, there was a bit of glamour about him. Okay, so... Well, we're going to get into some of his, you know, kind of accomplishments, maybe some things that didn't go well with the team, but, you know, big picture when you, when you kind of look back on his time as New Zealand coach, how would you summarize, you know, his performance and, 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 you know, what you thought of his time there? I think it was mixed. I have to say, I think it was mixed. He came into it, he inherited a pretty interesting and difficult situation with the team. So he had to really regenerate the team. But he certainly, he picked, I think, 49 or 48 players across four years. You know, that, that's a lot of players, a lot of young people that a lot of them we didn't see again. And he certainly, I remember my first conversation with Anthony and, and I asked him, how are you going to play? You know, what's your team going to look like? He said, oh, I want to play like uh, Chile because he, he loves Marcelo Bielsa, who was the Chilean mm. coach at the time. And he's a real disciple of of Bielsa, which is pretty exciting because you watch how Chile play, you're like, wow, you know. As it turned out, that wasn't maybe realistic with the players that New Zealand had. And, and I think we ended up more with a sort of Mourinho style, quite quite defensive, quite cautious. So certainly some people got frustrated with the style of play at times. The team played a bit cautious perhaps, and, and there was a feeling that didn't get the most out of some of the talent that New Zealand had. He also only managed one win against, I think there's 29 games, one win against non-Oceania opposition, uh, a couple of draws. But there were some high points. So overall, I'd say I'd say it was mixed, but he did a lot to professionalise New Zealand football. He, he was quite demanding with them, and he really, he really pushed a lot of changes. And he also did a lot to professionalise the setup and the way the team did things. And the, the players really responded to him. Most of them, they, they, they loved him. They loved his style. He was certainly a, a, a player's manager. And ultimately, the we went to the Confederations Cup where New Zealand performed okay against Russia, Mexico, and Portugal. But of course, the measuring stick in the end was trying to qualify for the World Cup. Anthony was unlucky because we have the intercontinental playoff and New Zealand can either play in an Asian team, a CONCACAF team, or a South American team. We were drawn with the South American team, Peru, of course, and that was always going to be incredibly hard. The team lost 2-0 on aggregate. So overall, uh, he did he did well, but I don't think he ever lived up to the reputation and the excitement um, that was created when he arrived and, and maybe during his tenure. 
Yeah, I mean, losing Peru's a great team, right? Mm -hmm. So losing to them in the Intercontinental playoffs, that's um, it's hard to think of that as like a bad performance. But was it? I guess how how did everyone, you know, media pundits, etc., view that World Cup qualifying campaign? Was it seen as ultimately a failure because New Zealand didn't qualify, or was it seen as you know we probably went about as far as we could go during this cycle? Definitely the latter. I think when 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 we were drawn out of the hat with South America in 2015, everyone's like, oh, okay, well, that's that's that then. You know, we're we're probably not going to beat the fifth place South American team home and away <laughs> in a two match playoff. And at the time, uh, New Zealand didn't have Chris Wood, our best player, our striker. He was only available. He was injured, so he only played. Uh, the second half of both matches so so that was certainly a big blow so yeah probably never always hoped you'd qualify and, and got a nil nil draw at home but never expected that we'd be able to beat a, a south american team with so much on the line so that was that was okay and the other interesting thing is new zealand football wanted to keep anthony they we've had a tradition if you don't make the world cup it's okay thank you thanks for your services and we'll we'll move on to the next guy New Zealand football really wanted to keep him. They fought hard to keep him. I remember talking to the CEO in Lima after the game against Peru, and they'd been eliminated, and he, they wanted. They said, we want Anthony to stay. I'm talking with him now. They were quite confident. But, of course, Anthony went to Colorado, and we, we thought, okay, well, this is going to be the fair enough. This is what he, want, what he wants to do. Um, this is going to be the making of him. And, of course, Colorado didn't turn out very well at all, and he had that terrible record and. Um, I think was the worst manager in their in their short history, but it just didn't go well at all. And and he kept we had a lot of interest in that. He kept sort of blaming the situation with the club, how it's being run, the the roster, the depth. And then then he left Colorado, and the new guy came in and and did really well. So he, it, it did seem that it was going to be hard for Anthony to to bounce back, but it, but he certainly has. You've used this kind of when we were emailing um, and kind of talking beforehand. You said something around the lines of, you know, he's certainly an interesting guy. And that's kind of made me curious about your choice of words there. I mean, what did you find so interesting about him, you know, as a person, his personality, you know, as a coach? Oh, he was just fascinating. Yeah, that, that he was a, he's, he's super charismatic, you know, so you can't help but like the guy. And he's the sort of person that enjoyable, uh to chat to a football obsessive you know you could talk football with him all day a huge work ethic you feel like he wants to watch football all day but yeah just uh he was he was uh one of the first times i met him he was telling me that he was going for runs every morning at five o'clock a 5k run not five o'clock sorry a 5k run every morning and then you get back and be watching football in europe he'd always be talking about his um all his contacts and people that he knew in Europe. But the other thing about him was there was this remarkable self-belief, you know? He just, he told me in about the second interview, we're talking about, so New Zealand, you know, come to New Zealand, that's great, but this is only a a stepping stone, right? He said, no, it's not a stepping stone, but he said, I I really want to do well here, but ultimately I, I want to be coaching in the Champions League one day. And that's that's where I think I belong. And this was a guy who was 33, and he had had very minimal 
coaching experience, but he just had this, he just had this um, incredible self-belief that he was going to get there. The other thing is he's had quite a few things happen in his personal life with his father, with his family, other things. And he was very open and talking about that with a journalist, quite a few things off the record, but I was always amazed with what he would be willing to, to share and open up about his life and his, it's not really what you, um, what you hear from a, a football coach. So on that side, it was fantastic and he could be great to deal with. But on the other side, there were these times when he just got, he decided that we were being so negative as media, we were being too negative. So I remember in the lead up to the Peru match, the biggest match in New Zealand's in, in four years, it was the game at home against Peru, World Cup qualifier. It's going to be a sold out stadium. And Anthony decided that um, there were going to be no interviews, no one-on-one interviews that week. It was all just um, press conferences. Um, With him or the players. That's right. So the players, there were interviews, but they were a press conference with, you know, everyone in the room asking their own questions. The player sits at the top table. Whereas normally, especially with football, it's a bit different to say the All Blacks, you get plenty of access to players because they're they're desperate for coverage. But he decided, no, the media were being way too negative. Uh, it, It had been an accumulation. No interviews. And also the the New Zealand football media staff found themselves locked out of the team. So they, they weren't even able to have like lunch or dinner with the with the team. You know, you're normally embedded. They were um they were sort of sitting in another room doing their own thing and sort of on the outside themselves. And this was this was staffers. So so you know, there was a lot at stake. It was a real intense time. I, I get all of that. And Anthony, you know, he's had a lot to learn, he's gone through a lot. Uh, but that struck me as really, really bizarre for a guy that could be so charismatic and so great to deal with as a journalist. And then and then it completely turned. And it sounds like that was surprising to you and the media that he made that decision. Um, is that true? Or was there some kind of like sense that this relationship was deteriorating a little bit and he might take such a drastic step like that? Oh, there had been moments, but no, we did we didn't expect uh, that that would happen. Given he was always so proud of his team, that's the thing, I guess. He he always wanted to tell us how great his team was and how great his team could be. So it was quite a it was quite unusual that he would suddenly not want them not want them to be able to tell their stories before the biggest game in in four years. Because my other lasting memory of Anthony is I was lucky enough during his first official game as New Zealand coach, they went to play South Korea in Seoul. And he was good enough to invite me into sort of a bit behind the curtains. Uh, So I got to sit in on one of the first uh, team meetings. And he played all these videos that he'd he'd, um, compiled himself of these, these clips of various New Zealand players. And basically what he was doing was he'd show a clip of Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Sergio Ramos back then making a fantastic tackle. And then he'd show a clip of a New Zealand player making a fantastic tackle, playing in, in the MLS or playing in um, in England. And, and he'd just be making the point that, hey, you know, these guys are amazing, as in players around the world, but look who we've got in our squad. We're amazing too. And, and I know that the um, 
the players, especially the young players, came out of that room 10 foot tall. You know, they were, they were feeling great. And he was, I have to say, one of his strengths was just making the team believe that anything was possible. You know, he was, he was, he was that kind of manager. Certainly at the start, anyway, he was just, and, and they really got behind him and really bonded. So that, that's a fantastic strength to have when you can have that. And then the other side of it, you've got to deliver with your tactics and with your ability to, to work out a game plan and, and everything else. But, but yeah, that was, uh, that was quite impressive. So how would you rate him in terms of more tactical strategy and being able to implement a game plan? He was certainly really a strength would be his analysis. You know, he, I think he used to enjoy all that analysis. So analysis of, of teams, and he certainly knows a, a lot about the, the football theory. I think his back then his tactical awareness was pretty good. I think the way he could set up teams to to stifle the opposition strengths, and New Zealand became a team that was quite good defensively, quite hard to score against. Um, some notable results, I remember in 2016, they played the United States, who at that stage were ranked about 22nd, 23rd in the world. Played them in um, Washington and got a one-all draw. And we were like, wow, this is... This is the United States, you know, they're, they're a big team. Um, I think they played Mexico and Nashville a few days later. We're lucky to lose, unlucky to lose 2-1. So there were certainly moments where you thought, wow, this this could be something. And I think context is important here, Frank, because um, in his current role, he will have, I'm not sure how many, but he'll have a lot of full-time staff. He'll have a lot of resources around him in his role at New Zealand football at that time. He had maybe four or five full-time staff. That was it, you know. Um, so he was doing quite a lot of the analysis himself. I remember he got quite excited at one stage to show me <laughs> at a training session. He was showing me the fact that he would um, he would stop training in the middle of training, and uh, he'd pull all the players into a tent, and he'd have the video set up there with his analyst. And be able to show them some clips of what they'd just been doing during a drinks break, you know. And this was in say 2016, and, and we were like, "Wow, this is this is pretty cool. This is like really, this is really something." Because I think back then it was quite new, especially for for New Zealand. So yeah, overall, he certainly ticked those boxes. And it's just really hard to assess because of the context of the players he had at his disposal in New Zealand and the fact that he was always mostly playing teams, European teams, that were um, New Zealand was overmatched. I think with the United States, it's quite different because with the players you've got and the teams you play against, uh, that'll be a really good test of, of where he's at. You've talked about that it seemed he had a pretty good relationship with the players. Um, I think you might have even uh, used the phrase, you know, he's a player's coach. How is he in terms of young player development? Because, you know, we have a lot of young players in the U.S. national team system right now that we want to develop. And that's something he's going to have to do in his time as interim head coach. How, how do you think he did with young player development in his time with New Zealand? He, he loved young players. He, um, he, there was, it was a feeling that if he had the choice of picking a young player, 
or, or someone who was 27, 28, especially at the start of his tenure, he would pick the young player. He, he I think he backed himself to be able to mould them in a certain way. I guess one of the things I used to question was his judgment with young players, because you know how it's always difficult to tell how they're going to end up, but also a young player who might have only played one season in professional football and made a few first-team appearances. He looks fantastic, but there's there's so many things to, to polish. Um, because he he persisted with a few young players that it was obvious to some of us this particular player wasn't wasn't going to be going to be up to it. But Anthony would just be talking about, oh no, he's he's fantastic. He's just you guys aren't seeing what what I'm seeing. But no, overall, I'd say uh, that would be a strength of his. I think he he enjoyed the challenge of dealing with young players and trying to get the best out of them. And because he's such a young guy himself, you know, he's still he's still pretty young, isn't he? So I think that side of the role might suit him compared to some other there's plenty of other national teams we can think of isn't there where it's such a different such a different roster and they've got they're full of veterans whereas i think the united states team at the moment that could be a, a benefit for him were there any controversies while <laughs> he was there on the <laughs> pitch off the pitch any any news? <laughs> I'm sensing that maybe the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. How much time do we have? For the answer. Um, yeah, there were there, there were there were a few. I mean, there were. I think there were three players that he either uh, selected or didn't select, and he made it clear that he didn't select them because they were out of shape. But the worst situation was he called up a player, got, came into the squad. They were preparing to play a game. This was a game in New Zealand. He didn't play many games in New Zealand. You know, you get called up four days before, had a couple of training sessions. And then he just came out and told us two days before the game, I'm, I'm sending him home. I've sent him home. I've sent him back to, where was he playing? Australia. And he was like, wow, what? Yep, he, he's he's out of shape. He, he's disappointed me. He hasn't come in in the right shape. I've told him the situation. So... I felt that was really poor because um, there's other ways of doing that. You know, you keep the guy in camp, you, you, you give the message clear and you don't pick him for the game. You don't give him any time, but to sort of ostracize him in that way and send him home. And, and he was also a young player, you know, he was also only about 18, 19. I just thought that was pretty, pretty poor judgment. Uh, because it could have that player has since bounced back and he's okay, but at the time it was quite a public humiliation. But in terms of other controversies, he came out swinging in a big way against New Zealand football. Uh, he got so frustrated around Christmas 2015, and he just he just came up with this interview, uh, completely sort of off agenda, talking about how the state of football, how there's nowhere near enough resources been given to him but also how uh, the players in this country don't have enough desire they want to go on holidays with their mates for Christmas and New Year holidays and have fun at the beach where they should be training all this stuff which made a lot of headlines and the New Zealand football CEO was on holiday at the time and you know he's on holiday somewhere um, up in the north of the country without a mobile phone coverage suddenly get all these calls what's going on why is Anthony saying all this and that was the start of a bit of a feud between 
uh, Anthony and the CEO, which Anthony's, there were certainly some grounds for Anthony's dissatisfaction. New Zealand football, the way they were doing certain things, um, just wasn't wasn't good enough. So there turned out to be quite a few between him and the CEO. I reported it later that they actually went to mediation. They weren't even sort of talking to each other for a while. Um, I would reflect now that Anthony was 60, 70% in the right with what he was saying, and the CEO, who's since gone, was was making some really bad decisions. There was a, a, a captain that we New Zealand had who who retired. Anthony said, that's it. I'm not dealing with that player anymore. He's gone. And then, and then six months later, he was brought back and everything was okay and, you know, they were, they were happy. So, yeah, there was certainly, I guess the overwhelming thing during that tenure that, that I would say, Frank, was that Anthony became often the face of the team. You know, we, we had some really good players, but he, he had such a profile that um, I remember the TV stations would run uh, advertising for an upcoming game and they talk about, the All Whites are going to play Portugal with their exciting new coach, Anthony Hudson, you know. And we never had a coach that had that sort of profile and was sort of being promoted so well. And I guess the only thing I'd add, which wasn't a controversy, but did make us, did amuse us here in New Zealand, was he's got or he had this amazing um, agent or manager who seemed to have incredible contacts with English newspapers. So every so often, there'd be a story pop up in the Daily Mail or the Times or the, yeah, the Times was definitely one. Uh, not so sure the Guardian, but, you know, big, big newspapers. And they're doing a story about Anthony, uh, about his time down in New Zealand. And, and the way it would be written, the, the sort of spin on the story and the challenge he was facing and, and his achievements, which would come from the way the interview was angled, were very different to how we were seeing things in New Zealand of what was actually happening. So it was it was just so amusing. But he got a lot of positive coverage and his Wikipedia page. I'm not sure if you've checked out his Wikipedia page, but um, whoever looks after that, whether it's his agent or his manager, his Wikipedia page is certainly uh, incredibly uh, positive and hmm. um accentuates everything in a very <laughs> positive positive way uh but i say good on him because because football is so competitive and it's all about selling your abilities and what you can do and he's he's been fantastic at that and as i as i said before he's got incredible self-belief he really thinks that he can uh get to the top he, he's gone a pretty different um journey and a, a route to get there but He's still on his way. I mean, look, look, we're, we're talking about him because he's he's the interim head coach of one of one of the biggest football nations in the world. I mean, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you know, there's something I'm getting from you that's kind of surprising to me, or that I haven't seen yet. And of course, you know, he's so new as interim head coach. There's still, you know, there hasn't been that much opportunity to kind of see how he is as a coach. But I'm hearing from you that there's this big personality, charismatic person very confident person and so far what i'm seeing in the u.s is somebody who's um at least when he faces the media a very humbling like yeah i know i'm the interim head coach i'm just going to do the best i can i'll hang around as long as they'll 
have me here. So now I'm wondering, is that just kind of a face he's putting on to the media? What, what would be your thoughts on that? Oh, possibly. I mean, he, he knows it's a very different market. You know, he's in, with respect to New Zealand, I mean, we've got a pretty decent football team and it's certainly on the rise, but the United States is a bit of a juggernaut. In fact, you've got you know, how many professional teams and you've got, uh, I guess he realises the fact that he's dealing with so much media. You know, you've got media coast to coast and he... he uh, but I'd never say Anthony was um, particularly arrogant. I think he found that nice mix somewhere between, you know, really strong self-belief but not huge arrogance. He just had this unbending will that he was going to find a way to succeed as a as a football coach, as a very young football coach. And he, he had some good some good allies around him who, are, who have been helping him. And he's had some glowing references over the years from Harry Redknapp or, I don't know, Bielsa said some nice things about him. So, but I think he re, he's, he's, I'd imagine, you'd know better than me, but I'd imagine the um, Colorado experience was quite chastening for him. Uh, because he he went into that job with really high hopes. He was so excited. I remember the last time talking to him, he was so excited about going into a, a club manager role and be, being able to be on the grass, you know, every day and week to week and be able to, because an international coach, that's a frustration, right? You don't get much time with the players. And it just didn't work out. Not only didn't work out, but it was a bit of a disaster. So he's probably had to rebuild himself and, and somehow... We, we were all really surprised when he ended up on the on the US staff because, you know, we thought that what he did with Colorado would, would probably make it pretty hard to get a job within the US football arena. Uh, but obviously he's highly respected by by, by people that that matter within that within that organization and he must have done a good job as assistant coach. But I think he's he's very smart as well. He realizes that it's a much better strategy to be really humble with the media and the public and, and they'll get to like him and, and then see what he can do uh, rather than come out and make big promises and and say that I'm looking forward to becoming the permanent head coach and or, or something like that he's a pretty he's a pretty smart guy but he would realize deep down this is a this is a fantastic opportunity so Michael you've you've told me a lot about Anthony Hudson, I think I feel like I understand um, better what some of his characteristics are, what some of his strengths and weaknesses are. Is there anything, any other aspects about him as a coach, you know, or a person that we haven't covered that you think would be insightful to share? Um, I, I, I just or personal stories, you know, that that helps sum up, you know, what kind of person or <laughs> well, coach. Yeah, he is. <laughs> like, uh, that's one of the reasons I love dealing with him because he was just uh, such a football nut. So the second time I'm talking to him, and he's telling me this fantastic story about going to visit Marcelo Bielsa on his farm in Argentina, you know, and and, and he turned up. Um, Anthony wanted to make a good impression, so he turns up in a suit, you know, with uh, with the with the black leather shoes, and end up uh, trudging through the mud about a kilometre through the mud to this to this farmhouse, wonderful farmhouse. But he's like, "What am I doing in this, you know, this Marnie suit? I'm not remember what suit it was." To come and meet Bielsa, who's just you know super relaxed, you know what Bielsa's like, you know. And but they end up talking for 
Anthony was really nervous about it. Ended up talking for four or five hours, probably the best experience of his life to meet. Him. I know he's met him, he met him before, but to meet his hero in Argentina, talking about football, got the salt and pepper shakers on the table discussing tactics. And it was just so exciting to hear that conversation and, and experience that little piece of what he'd experienced. And he thought, wow, this guy, you know, he's, he's just so so ambitious, so determined to get to know all these amazing people because whenever he had time off, I'd say, so what are you going to do now, Anthony? Uh, you've got a couple of weeks off. Oh, I'm, I'm going to Europe. I, I've jacked up a thing to go to Europe and I'm going to spend a week at Fulham and a week at, at some other club uh, just observing and, and seeing how they do things. So it was kind of nonstop, but, but in a good way in terms of he was still you know, I guess quite a well-rounded individual. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he had some, uh, he had some wonderful, wonderful stories. And, and, and as I say, I'll never forget, as I say, the way he could build up players to believe that anything was possible. And that's what all coaches try to do. Uh, and certainly he, he managed to do that with a bit of a, sometimes a siege mentality. You know, everyone was against us. The media's against us, everyone against us. And that's what made the Colorado thing quite surprising because I thought, oh, Anthony is, is perfectly suited to this, a bit of an underdog club. Um, they they haven't done much in the past. Let's watch him go. And somehow it, it didn't happen. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. For people who'd like to find out more about you, um, or see more of your work, where can people find find you? Yeah, so I'm at the uh, New Zealand Herald, newzealandherald.co.nz, uh, and on um, on Twitter, uh, Mike Burgess 99 is the, is the Twitter handle. Well, Michael, thanks again for joining the show. Uh, I know New Zealand is looking for a head coach. Uh, right now <laughs> it's a whole other podcast we were going to have um, John Herdman in case you haven't heard which was going to be a massive coup but unfortunately that seems that he's he's staying with Canada so we will keep uh, searching and hopefully find the right guy like the US hopefully they find the right person whoever that is thank you Michael thank you Frank no great to great to join you and lovely to talk uh, football and especially a chance to talk about uh, New Zealand football. I really appreciate it. Thank you to Michael Burgess for joining the show. After Anthony Hudson left the New Zealand national team, he became head coach of the Colorado Rapids. We'll talk about how that went in our next episode. Thanks for listening to Here and Abroad. I'm Frank Garza.